Welcome to Discovering the Law. My name is Lucy Rivera, and I am the host of this program today. This episode can be viewed at www.discoveringthelaw.com. And today, we have a very special guest. We have Honorable Justice of the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court, Elspeth B. Seifer. Welcome, Justice Seifer. Thank, Thank you so you much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I'm so happy that you invited me. Um, and we are grateful for your time and to learn from your past experience, your wisdom, and your knowledge. Thank you. Justice Cipher, uh, would you please share with the audience what is the role, uh, your role as justice of the Supreme Judicial Court of Massachusetts? Sure. Um, our court has seven justices, and I'm one of them. And our role, um, each one of us, we work together, um, we hear our case, the cases together, and we divide up the work and we uh, work behind, you know, we dis, we write a draft of an opinion, somebody else writes a draft, we look at it, we try to figure out the best, best outcome. So my job is to fill one of those roles and to write a certain number of cases every month to appear in court with the other justices. Um, we have a chief justice, Chief Justice Kim Budd. And we also have a, have a duty as a single justice so that um, once a month, it changes from month to month, but one of us will be, it's almost like an emergency judge for, for legal issues, for complicated legal issues. And we review, our general point is that we review the, what happens in the trial courts. That's very interesting. Is the court must be very busy. We um, we are busy. Um, it's been a little different since we could because we were on Zoom for COVID for a long time, and uh, trials got have been backed up in the trial courts, so they're just starting to come again, and we're getting busier and busier. But it is it is it is busy. We're glad that we can be back now in business. Oh yes, um, it's nice. Um, just to cipher, I'd like to ask you uh, two questions, uh, I guess, in form of one. One is, how would a young attorney consider becoming a judge in general? Mm -hmm. But most interesting is your own path to being mm -hmm. a justice of Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court. Sure. Well, let's let's take your first question first. And what I would tell, and before I get to the process, I would just give some advice to lawyers, young lawyers, any lawyer who wants to become a judge. And that is to remember that Massachusetts is a very small legal community. Everybody mm. knows everybody. And so whoever you're meeting now in your role as an attorney, um, you never know when you'll see them again. And you'll never know if they're related to somebody who will be like a clerk in a court or something. So my advice to every single lawyer is to treat every single person with as much respect and civility as you can, which we should do anyway. But if that isn't enough just to do it for the right reason, you know, <laughs> for a good reason, the reason to do it is because you'll be remembered later when you wanna be a judge and, and what people say about you will really matter. So that's the first piece of advice to a lawyer. The second piece, is your word is so important. 
Make sure you never have any room for doubt as to you doing what you said you would do or your word is so important. Your credibility is the most important thing. So civility and credibility in your personal characteristics. But now the process, um, in Massachusetts, we have appointed judges. They're appointed by the governor. Um, many other states have elected judges and um, the federal system is appointed. And we've all seen the hearings, you know, for those, for like Judge uh, the, the Gitanjali Jackson Brown, and then um, then all the lower federal courts. You know, they go through the Senate. Um, but here in Massachusetts, the process is uh, run by the governor's office first, and they have an executive council. I'm sorry, they have a judicial nominating commission, and this is a committee of lawyers from around the state in all different areas of practice. So you get a good mix of geography. You want a good mix of people with different backgrounds, different identities, um, different practice areas. So you want all that kind of a, a nice, well-rounded mix in your committee. And it's a pretty big committee. It's usually got about 20 people on it. And so the first thing you do is you fill out this very long form, very long, very, very long form, um, asking all sorts of questions. And then that goes into the committee. They read the application. They vote whether to give you an interview. If you pass that stage, you get an interview. Then they interview you. And then they vote as to whether to do what's called due diligence, which means they check your references and they call people that you might have bumped into, people you don't expect them to call. Um, so they'll just call all around and find out what kind of person you are, what people think of you, what you, what your temperament might be like. And then after that, if you pass that, then they send your name to the governor and then the governor goes through that process with you. Mm -hmm. um, and then once the governor decides you might be a viable candidate, they bring you in to interview with the lieutenant governor and then with the governor. Then once you've passed that, you go in front of the governor's council, which is um, was created when the constitution was formed. It's called the executive council. And there are about nine people elected from districts that are close to counties, but they, they sometimes contain some overlap. And they hold a public hearing at which anybody can come and testify for you or against you. And they ask you questions and then they vote. And, uh, you know, you need a you need at least five of them to vote for you. So, and then that's, once they vote, then that's it. They the governor right. swears you in, and you're a judge. Well, that seems like a incredibly thorough and undergoing a lot of scrutiny. And it is, um, it is very thorough, and there is um, a lot of scrutiny. And I think that's important when we're appointed because we're appointed and not elected. Um, and personally, having seen other judges from other states where they're elected, and they're so worried all the time about their campaign money and about elections and popularity, I feel very comfortable that in Massachusetts, you're getting the best justice you can, because we're not worried about that. Yes, um, it, it makes indeed a lot of sense. Um, well, we are grateful that you wonder when that Oh, and I forgot to tell you my path. <laughs> <laughs> no, tell us because you okay. are you're there. You're one of the. This is the highest court in Massachusetts, yes, Your Honor. It and is. We are grateful for your time. Sure. Um, 
I uh, went to Suffolk University Law School. I think you did too. Um, and I went at night. And so I, I, I think that um, I, I'm the first night student to, to be there and the second Suffolk student to be there. Um, and uh, when I graduated from law school, I, I was working as a, as a law student for a former professor of mine at college. I went to Emerson College in Boston and a professor of mine named Michael Brown kept encouraging me to go to law school. He was a lawyer. And I kind of ignored him for a while, <laughs> but then uh, you know he'd always write on my exams: "Go to law school, go to law school, go to law school." Wow! <laughs> so I graduated, and I was just working as a secretary in a computer firm. And I bumped into him on the street in Boston, on the corner of Berkeley and Beacon Street, and he said to me, "When are you going to go to law school?" And I said, "Well, I'm going to try wow. to save up enough money, you know, and do it." He said, "Don't. You're never going to save up enough money." He said go to night school, take out some loans, just do it. So I followed his advice and I, I went to Suffolk. Mm. And um, when I graduated, I ended up working for him at his law firm. Um, mm. He had a nice. small, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was a small law firm called Grayer, Brown and Dilday. Um, and they were a minority owned firm. And um, it was, a, a, we did everything, you know, they did just a little bit of everything. At one point, I decided I needed to specialize more because I was, I was pretty young and I was going into court and I really, I really didn't know what I was doing all the time. So I thought yeah. I really need to study just one thing, well, to become a good lawyer. And so I um, applied to criminal defense and criminal prosecution offices, and I was hired as an assistant district attorney out here in Bristol County, where I am. Um, and I worked um, for the district attorney's office for many years, uh, mostly doing appellate work, sometimes doing some trial work. And then um, one, at one point I felt, you know, it's, I'm, I'm really, I was starting to feel, I really wanna think more objectively about things and not take an advocacy role. So I applied to be a judge on the appeals court. Now in Massachusetts, you have the Supreme Judicial Court, but right below it is the appeals court, which is an intermediate appellate court and there are 25 judges on that court. And I was um, very luckily, I was appointed by Governor Salucci and I spent 17 years there um, writing appellate decisions. We sat in three, three judge panels. And then um, yeah. when, when the opportunity came to apply, when there was an opening at the Supreme Judicial Court, I applied and uh, was fortunate to get through the process again. It's like, <laughs> so that's, that's how I did it. Well, and we are grateful that you had. Thank you. Um, and there are so many questions I wish we could ask you, like what are some of your decisions, but most important, um, we would like to learn from you. Um, you described a little bit already of the court system. Um, mm -hmm. What services are available? Oh, sure. Well, as, I, um, as you know, um, the, we have the Supreme Judicial Court and the Appellate Court and the appeals court. And most people aren't going to, most people who meet up in the court system aren't going to be dealing with us. They'll usually be in the trial court where they're going for probate and family court for divorces or custody or wills, or they're going to land court or housing court or the district court um, or the superior court. So there are all these trial courts and um, people do need services because the court system is very intimidating 
And we have an awful lot of people who do not have lawyers. There's not enough um, legal assistance lawyers. Always could use many, many more. Um, so people that's or that's called taking a pro bono case, you know, where you do a case for free. But there's a lot of legal need in Massachusetts for lawyers. But um, to help with that, for those people who don't have lawyers, the court system has several. Um, what they call court service centers, not several, they have seven, actually seven court service centers around the state at the bigger court system, at the bigger courthouses, but geographically well-located so everybody can, can get to one. And they also do it virtually now because of COVID, of course. They had to, so they have a virtual court system, so virtual services center and a live services center. And the services you can use um, they have computers that people can use with online resources. Um, they have help people who will help them fill out forms, people who will give them information about how the court system works, help them with court documents, um, provide access to interpreter services. Uh, sometimes the librarians will give you some help with legal research, and they'll also provide information about community resources. Uh, where they might be able to get legal aid and social service agencies that could help them. So those are the court services. And oh, wow. yeah, and then if you're in the system, if you end up in the system as uh, a victim of a crime, the district attorney's office has victim witness services for, for crime victims. Um, very, uh, it sounds like uh, all these are uh important services available and affordable. Um, Your Honor, would you, uh, would you talk to us a little bit, share with us uh, the history yeah. of the Supreme Judicial Court in Massachusetts? It's interesting. Sure. It is interesting. Um, I think it's very interesting. We are the oldest appellate court in continuous existence in the Western Hemisphere. So we've been around for a long time. And um, it was established originally in 1692. So that's a while, a while back. But originally, you know, the King of England um, appointed the governor and the governor would appoint, would, would appoint a special court. And what had happened is during the colonial period, um, the governor was William Phipps. He created a special court called the Coit of Oyer and Terminer, which just means to hear something, to hear a problem, <laughs> um, to hear and determine charges of witchcraft. So it was specially set up to try the, the people who had been accused of being witches. And at those trials, they would admit something that was called spectral evidence, which we don't admit now, but spectral evidence was invisible evidence. It was, I would say I saw an apparition and that would be my evidence of you being a witch. I saw an apparition come near you or you did something. And so anyway, that was going on and, or I would, you know, they would say they saw you appear before them in the middle of the night. Um, so, but that started to get a little out of hand and the governor dissolved the court of Oyer and Terminer after they had tried most of the witches um, or the alleged witches. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to sick off, say it that way. 
And so then they created the Superior Court of Judicature in 1692, which is what, which then just evolved to be us. And at that point, the court could, was trying cases. It was actually going, riding around Massachusetts and conducting trials itself um, and doing any appellate work it needed to do, I guess. Um, but then at, eventually it gave up the trial work and just focused on doing appeals because that was, that was the name of it. Um, and so, you know, the Superior Court of Judicature, so that comes out of the witch trials, but there was also a very big case, um, which is famous. And it was, it happened in 1761 when the court decided what was called writs of assistance. We all know about search and seizure law, right? Like you have to have a warrant, you have to have probable cause. But before this, um, writs of assistance were just general warrants that could be issued. And a Boston attorney, James Otis, argued that these general warrants um, violated the Constitution. And that's where we start our search and seizure law and Article 14. Mm. And our Constitution comes before the United States Constitution. So we like to take credit for all of that good history. Um, so so that's that's another, I think, very interesting um, piece of, of the history of the, of the Supreme Judicial Court, how it had uh, all those colonial influences on it. That is fascinating, the history dating from Salem, which trials. Uh, long time <laughs> ago. <laughs> and, yeah. and the evolution of the court system. Um, mm -hmm. Justice Cipher, let me segue a little bit back, oh, actually, into today's modern court, Supreme Judicial Court. What what are some of the landmark cases that of the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court that, that sure. you would like to talk to us about? Well, there are there are. I was looking through it, and there are a lot of landmark cases. And mm -hmm. um, one one series of cases is from 1780, and those were called the Freedom Suits, and those were cases in which people who had been enslaved came to court and petitioned for their freedom. And in fact, a person named, a man named Quo Walker filed a freedom suit and he was found to, he got his freedom. And so Massachusetts became the first state anywhere to outlaw slavery through the court system. Um, so that certainly is important, very important. Now, if we jump ahead 100, 300 years, um, to, well, maybe 200 years, I think one of the more important cases, of course, is Goodrich versus the Department of Public Health, which came out in 2003. And that one was uh, about marriage equality and said that you really can't discriminate between um, same-sex couples and straight couples. And the reason was because they really looked into the history of marriage and licensing. And they said, you know, this is a state license. And the only reason not to grant it is a religious reason, really. Um, so they said, it's just a state license and there shouldn't be any discrimination in getting a state license. Now that of course didn't do anything to religious ceremonies, anybody's religion that didn't want to have same-sex marriage, they didn't have to, but this said, if it's a civil service, you know, the state's not going to prevent people from getting married. Um, another case I think is important, but maybe a little bit overlooked, 
came out in 2020 and that's called Commonwealth versus Long. Mm -hmm. And you know that there is a problem with uh, disproportionate stopping of minorities. And um, in this case, we made it easier for somebody who's been stopped to prove that it was done as, as a result of race. Before it was very difficult to prove, you had to bring in a lot of statistics. Now we said, you can just look at the totality of the circumstances. You don't have to bring in all the statistics. So I think that's important. Um, another landmark case is um, Exxon Mobil versus the Attorney General. Um, Attorney General Healy um, has been investigating and was investigating ExxonMobil for lying about uh, or misrepresenting its knowledge on climate science and putting out misinformation about it. And they tried to stop the investigation. And we said, no, it can go forward, that she's got the authority to go forward. And we have jurisdiction over you as a as an corporation working in Massachusetts. So I, th I think that one was, was pretty important. Uh, these are indeed landmark cases that protect civil rights, the world, and uh, how we relate to each other. Mm -hmm. But Your Honor, um, just to, uh, briefly, let me mention that today we are uh, learning history of the court system of the law from one of the stars in the legal community, Honorable Justice Elspeth B. Cipher from the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court. Um, Justice Cipher, we again are honored that you're here. Um, this episode will be viewed at www.discoveringthelaw.com. Um, Your Honor, you must have a favorite case that you feel you decided that is your pet case. Would you talk to us about that? <laughs> well, you know, I, I've been thinking of, I have to say, um, I do have a favorite case. Um, probably some of the favorite cases I've written um, would be mostly from the appeal when I was on the appeals court where I was writing a lot of a lot of cases dealing with children and families um, or or particular you know or victims who'd been you know who needed their rights protected or a defendant who had had his rights abused so those are very special to me but the most important case to me personally is when I was a prosecutor and argued the Commonwealth versus James Cater case to the SJC fought four times. It had five appeals. He had four trials. I was working in the district attorney's office and um, the allegation was that he had kidnapped and murdered a 14 year old girl named Mary Lou Arruda in Rainham. She'd been knocked off her bicycle, kidnapped and tied up and left for dead in the state forest. And the first trial, there was a conviction, but the Supreme Judicial Court reversed the verdict because the witnesses had been hypnotized in the same room together um, by the police, which was something that had happened in the 70s. It was there's a guy going around training all the police officers how to hypnotize people, but he wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't teaching them that you should, how to do it without contaminating everything. So they were in the same room hearing each other. So the Supreme Judicial Court said, no, you can't do that. <laughs> so they tried it again and I did I stepped in at that point and worked on the appeal and they were doing the um they, they got another conviction and it went up to the SJC and I argued the case and I lost and they said